What's up, guys? Welcome back to Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You could use our code THINK for additional savings. Hit me up if you have any questions about any of their flavors, uh, any anything you want to do with their highly branched cyclic dextrin. Uh, they've got all sorts of different supplements. You can create all sorts of great combinations. I use them for all my workouts. Uh, if you're in Canada, check out supplementsource.ca. Uh, as I've mentioned before, I've seen pre-workouts there on closeout for like 15 bucks. I saw Carbolin for like $25 off. So if you need a deal, if you're in Canada, there's a great place to go to get supplements. Plus they support our programming. So by shopping with them, you know, there's you're supporting good people and you're getting good supplements too. Uh, and also we're supported by Patreon, by you guys. Thank you guys very much for everything you do, all your contributions. I'm going to be doing a... Um, a, a, just like a one-on-one -on -one with you guys, uh, a live stream over at Patreon coming up pretty soon. So I'll be taking questions for that over there. So make sure if you're one of the Patreon members that you log in and you check on what's going on over there. Scott Stevenson, what's going on, man? You, you remind me of something that was, a, it's a John Meadows memory when John first started the Granite Supplements. Yeah. And we went out to California, flew me out to California to do some of the initial advertisements. And I had have all the ingredients in the supplements memorized so I could, I could spit off a uh, little introduction to how they how it works and why we chose the doses, blah, blah, blah. I remember we that. Went to the, yeah, yeah. We went to um, uh, the factory where his, his supplements were being produced. And that's where Rich Piana's stuff was being made, too, as well. Oh, no and kidding. it's funny because John was starting off and John made a, it was a pretty large investment and Rich Piana stuff was like 30 times as big. It was like, here's John's, you know, like a few pallets of, you know, the first, the first bottles and, and like that whole half of the warehouse is Rich Piana stuff. Oh yeah. But the, the thing that you mentioned, the $25 off and I remind, I remember, I forget the name they, that they gave to this area of the warehouse, but down in the basement, they had like all these leftover supplements from the, like, from like years now of companies that were like starting to start their own supplement line yeah and we just went down it was like it was like a museum of supplements that never were or no kidding once were. <laughs> yeah so and it was so cool we went down there and they were just everywhere it's like if you find something you want just take it holy crap you know just grab it yeah so like i i got i got like some there was like one like pre-workout that was like I think it might have been like WTF. I think that's the first like that's just called it that. And there was like another one was called like Brain Blaster or some shit like that. It had like yeah. this cartoon guy with his eyes bugging out of his head. That's amazing. There was like all, all these hilarious supplement names, you know, like they're looking for it's like you almost would want to buy those supplements because the names are okay, I just gotta buy this just to have it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um like like I have somewhere in one of my boxes that I haven't haven't um unpacked. I have a supplement that is probably 15 or 20 years old that actually had cannabidiol in it. What is that? And um, cannabinoids, like oh. CBD. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's got CBD in it. This is long before like this came on the scene, you know, and yeah. and pot became legal. Yeah. Um, and the name of this it was it was to increase your appetite. Oh. And okay. the name of the supplement was Black Hole. Huh. No <laughs> you, didn't want it, you just want to eat so much, you're, you're like a black hole. You're just engulfing everything. That's crazy. And I, and I, I never even took it. I haven't even opened the bottle, you know. Well, but um, our so topic today, really though, cool. our topic is yeah. like the opposite of the black right. hole. Um, mm -hmm. We have gotten asked a lot all the time now. One of the I think like one of the most popular buzz supplements out there right now or drugs in bodybuilding are the GLP-1 drugs. And um, we had a question, uh, and actually this was from one of our Patreon people, 
He said, have you ever had a client use a GLP-1 agonist uh, like semaglutide or liraglutide? I've never tried it personally, but sounds like it could be helpful for someone doing a hard push at the tail end of a diet. Uh, I, I know that Vigorous Steve has talked about this stuff a lot. I first heard about uh, the GLP-1 drugs back in 2016. I did an interview with uh, Colette Nelson, uh, women women's bodybuilder. She, uh, she had done a whole show with me about microdosing insulin. And she said, but we have to get back together and do a, a show about a new topic because everybody in bodybuilding is going to freak out when they learn about these new uh, blood sugar drugs that are actually going to help you lose fat. And and she was talking about GLP-1 stuff. So uh, we haven't really talked a lot about them on the show. It's not something that I've personally used. Um, I've known people who have used them for medical purposes, including a client. Um, and, I, and I've seen issues in some of those situations. Um, but I wanted to bring it to you. And maybe we could talk just a little bit of science about what these drugs are and, and maybe... Here's what my concern is, too, is that a lot of times when something new comes out, everybody always sees all the positives for the first few years. And everybody's like, oh, this is the latest, greatest thing. And it's real easy to sweep under the rug the negatives. In fact, people get really upset if you start pointing the negatives out of something. They do. They do. Uh, You know, and and, and until that drug or supplement has run its course uh, down the road and then people have a more balanced perspective. But. I don't know. Right. Let's, let's balance some perspectives today. That's that's my thought. Yeah, and, and sometimes you just find like the test of time will, will will tell you. There's so many supplements that have come and gone. Absolutely. Like we talked about a lot of the lot of the growth hormone releasing peptides. Yeah. You know those were so big before, and you know now some people still use them. I think you can still find them. They're still selling. Yeah. You Especially people who on. don't want to do something illegal. You know they they feel that right. it's going to be a safer option legally. Right. But if they were like, if they were all that, then you'd see here guys that, you know, probably like they're using growth hormone for six weeks and they do, which would make sense, actually do like two weeks or four weeks with those. Yeah. They have an organizational effect on the pituitary because they're stimulating pituitary. Pituitary produces a number of different hormones and those, those tend to help the pituitary organize itself. There's an organization to the the cells that secrete the various hormones that come pituitary hormones. Hmm. So it would make great sense if there's any issue with like, Growth hormone recovery, which I don't think there is, but it'd be it'd be sort of like doing um, uh, kind of a PCT type of thing, right? Right. With, yeah, for growth hormone, but people aren't doing that. You know, it just didn't didn't happen. And there's a, there's a lot of truth that comes just from standing the test of time and and you know the bro science, which I think of as as experience through trial and error in practice, so to speak. I don't, there's, you can think of bro science as what someone says, this works, and they just make up some bullshit scientific explanation. Right. That's not what I'm talking about. That's, that's the worst sort of form of bro science. I'm talking about guys who've tried things out, and it seems to work from experience. And, and they may not even know why, except that it's connected in some way to the scientific um, understanding that we have of how the drugs work or how the training um, application may work or what have you. So anyway, so this is an interesting – it's an interesting uh, – set of drugs you've got um so when we our our enteric nervous system is it's just absolutely phenomenal it's connected to our microbiome with our with the bacteria that are there and that's an entirely sort of um unknown universe potentially there's there's as many 
organisms, microorganisms in our microbiome as there are cells in our body. I believe even maybe more. Massive number of bacteria and these phage viruses, which are bacterial viruses, and our vagus nerve. There's vagal activity that is mediated through the um, uh, the enteric nervous system. And we've got when you eat, for instance, you've got secretin that comes from the duodenum and cholecystokinin. And then these incretin hormones, which is glucosin-like peptide one, and um, uh, what's the vasoactive intestinal peptide? Is that the other one? Glucagon, what is it? I made a note here, yeah. I forget the other one's name all the time. Um, yeah, gastric inhibitory peptide, GIP. So what these basically do is they mediate the glucose signal um, that comes, or actually potentially fats too, but the case of the incretins, so the GLP-1 being one of those, you eat and your blood, blood glucose goes up. And that will have an effect directly on the insulin that's re released from your, from your pancreas. But if you eat something, uh, so you can, you can test out that effect by infusing glucose into the blood. Are we getting questions or just comments? So you're uh, no. Oh, good. No. Okay. Um, I see you looking over there. I'm like, oh, maybe we're well, getting some good comments. No, my 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 monitor is over here, so I try to look oh. this way because this is where the oh. camera is. But if I want to look at you, you, I'm actually over here. Yeah. yeah, you can't just make your eyes go like that. <laughs> Not on most days. That would be crazy. Um, but when you do film it, because I like to see that <laughs> that actually can happen. So these are these are hormones that are released from our gut. Actually, they're gut hormones, and they modify. The insulin release, and they also modify our sense of satiety and the activity in your gut for digesting the peristalsis and moving things through the gut. So it makes sense. Like you got a you got a pretty big production going on. It happens all the time, of course. But you eat food, and then you've got to digest the food. You've got to release the enzymes from the pancreas. You've got to release the pancreatic hormones. So you've got an enzymatic response. You got a um, uh, and then an, an, an endocrine response and an exogen response, and GLP-1 mediates all of that. So the the medical application is for things like um, mainly diabetes, but other related things like PCOS and and other disorders where you tend to have insulin insensitivity or insulin resistance. So you get a nice scenario where if you take a GLP-1 agonist, so it acts like GLP-1. Normally you eat, you get extension, you get glucose that rises, and then you want to um, be able to control that so the GLP-1 would be released to say, okay, hold on, we need more insulin, right? So we can get the, get the nutrients out of the blood, into the, into the cells, adipose, muscle, what have you. And we also want to slow down the food. Let's say you have a massive like, amount, of, you're eating as fast as you can. First thing you want to do is slow down the intake so it acts on your brain and says, okay, don't eat so much. Reduce the appetite because we got plenty of food coming in. And also, let's slow down the movement there because we have to have time to absorb that stuff. If you just ate something and it just went all the way through, <laughs> then you'd have some problems because you'd have a lot of undigested, unabsorbed food that right. would get into your large intestine. And that's where the bacteria have their, have their way with it. So things like beans, which have undigested Food part that's undigested that gets that's why you get gas. People with lactose intolerance, if the lactase gets down there, the lactose gets down there, they have an issue because the the uh, bacteria get on. And then you'd have diarrhea. 
So you want to meet, you want to modify and mediate how fast the food's moving through your system. So GLP-1 basically says, hey, we're full. Let's make the appropriate adjustments in transit time through the, the GI and insulin release from the pancreas. So here's the trick. This is why it's a cool drug, so to speak, is you use an agonist that mimics that action and it slows movement through your GI and inhibits your appetite up in your brain. And because you have longer, you have more stretch or a longer period of stretch, that in of itself means you're less hungry. So it makes for, you're going to might get a little more insulin release because of it. I don't know. I haven't looked into the, the science to see how it compares like on an acute basis, if you get more insulin release, um, that would that would move that would like send us back towards the insulin hypothesis about adiposity and what have you. That it's all about insulin, whether or not you have body fat or not. And there's not a lot of evidence to suggest that. Really, in the long run, it's the amount of calories, etc. So you've got a nice, basically, drug that tells your brain and your and your system, your your GI, that you've got more food in there than you actually do. Yeah, is the easiest way to understand it. Tells the brain, okay, hey, hunger should go down. Satiety is going to be come, come on earlier, meaning you don't get hungry again for your next meal, and you're going to have food that enters into your system at a slower rate. So you're basically going to reduce reduce the glycemic index of your food as well. So it's it's a pretty nifty trick. Um, if you want to throw that figure up that I sent you, we can we can kind of look at that. Make that, yeah, make that, you don't need this, yeah, my face is a need for that. So <laughs> kind of shows um, what's in red there, slows gastric em emptying, um, that at the top in the middle of the brain is there, suppresses appetite. There's the amplifies, if I'm kind of going clockwise around the, around the circle, amplifies glucose-dependent insulin release. It actually inhibits glucagon release too. Hmm. So if you had low glucose, you'd have more glucagon. When glucose is gone, you release glucagon. So those are the main main actions I've already talked about. So it's it's um uh it's a pretty it's a you know a pretty smart place to um to put in a drug if you want to reduce if you want to reduce appetite and slow digestion. Basically it's a, a snifty little trick into making um at a very sort of principal point in appetite regulation and digestion, a sneaky little spot to stick a drug in there because it has a, a really primarily primary action on, on those two things, which dictate how hungry you get and what your eating behavior is going to be. So for a bodybuilder, this is kind of the question people are I think, getting at this is you're dieting down and you're hunkering in and you, your food focus is just like all you can think about is food. Yeah. Well, you're not going to be nearly as hungry. And I, there's probably a dose response mechanism to this. Yeah. These um, they're injected on a daily basis or a weekly basis, so they're pretty long acting. Um, and I don't know the the pharmacokinetics of them because um, I haven't had. I don't. This this is these explanations are just from someone who could probably explain this maybe a little bit better than the average person because I'm a physiologist, you know, and I have an understanding of how they work. But I've never I've never tried them. I've had clients use them, but it's a pretty, you know, it's, it's going to have the same kind of effects in a way, totally different mechanisms. You can you can take that pick that right. thing now if you want. Um, that you get when you use some pathomimetics. So you use stims hmm. like ephedrine. Yeah. So you think about digestion is parasympathetic, rest, repose, rest and digest. 
and sympathetic of your autonomic nervous system is escape, fight or flight, that sort of thing. It's the opposite. So when you take stimulants, you take things like ephedrine. We've talked about that. It was like two podcasts back now, I think. Um, Clenbuterol, what have you. They, they would stimulate more activity. They free up. They cause lipolysis. They may have an impact on your metabolic rate as well, um, like Sinephrine does, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's, those things are inhibiting your appetite, and they're causing more activity. And they're, they're going to have a, an effect, too, on probably on gastric emptying. I haven't seen that with the stims, but given how they work, it, it would make perfect sense that they do. Hmm. So um, mechanism of action is going to differ a little bit because your hem bean is kind of an outlier there. And the way that it acts, um, it can potentiate, potentiate insulin release. So anyway, it's sort of a different way of kind of getting the same things to some degree. It doesn't have that impact on metabolism. Except I did find one study that shows that um, one of the GLP-1 agonists, may have been an experimental one, tend to cause the browning of white adipose tissue. Hmm. So we may have mentioned this before, like when you have brown adipose, this is that, this is that, high, that, that, that thermogenic brown fat. Yeah, we did that talk is, about that. The holy grail. Yeah. 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 It's so got, it may it's, change it's, some of your fat to, I like that term browning, the browning of yeah. white fat. Huh. That's the term, yeah. You've got white fat and kind of beige fat, what's sort of intermediate, and then, then the brown fat. And the brown fat responds to thermogenic drugs in general. Yeah. Um, and it's highly innervated, highly vascularized, mm. integrated by the sympathetic nervous system, a lot of mitochondria. So it's it's there. It's it's a thing that you, you tend to have more of in people who are leaner. Okay. Um, as opposed to those who are um, who are obese. That, that's one potential player in why someone might have a genetic propensity for obesity is they don't they don't have a lot of brown fat okay but it tends to cause this glp1 tends to cause um at least in this rodent study that i found <clears throat> an increase or shifts the white fat to brown fat hmm. so maybe even shifting you know literally body composition as well and and i think probably a direct fashion i don't know i didn't see i didn't read that far enough you sent this to me this morning like oh shit i forgot to look into that so there's there's evidence out there to that effect. So that's the good, as far as I can see. That's that sounds freaking shit, right? that all sounds that, great actually. That's, that does, you know, yeah. Um, except you can go on the FDA and look, look on drugs.com and you see um, pretty universally for uh, for those drugs for these GLP one agonists. And then there's also a, a deep. I think it was in that picture that, that we had up a bit a bit ago. The figure mm -hmm. um, there's the DPP one enzyme inhibitors and those just um yeah it mentions that dpp4 sorry um there's enzyme inhibitors that can be be given that will reduce the breakdown of glp1 so it prolongs the half-life and increases their activity and those also have this negative effect one of the things that's going on here is you're stimulating the pancreas so the pancreas you're 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 increasing that the stimulus of the glp1 by agonizing its receptor at the pancreas and increasing pancreatic insulin release. Hmm. So pancreatitis is, is a potential issue there. Hmm. Um, and you don't want to have a, an upset pancreas that can cause all sorts of issues. Then you get digestive issues and then you're, then you can be kind of screwed. Um, that can be, that could be pretty diabolical for someone who's, let's say they're eight weeks out and they're like, ah, fuck it. I'm just gonna start taking one of these GLP-1 agonists. Yeah, yeah. And they build pancreatitis like two weeks out from their show. Um, and then you're not a happy camper. You're okay. not digesting anything very well, pancreatitis for the most part. Hmm. Um, 
And there's also a risk of C cell cancer. It's a type of thyroid cancer. Hmm. Um, yeah. So that's a possibility too. So, and, um, also, uh, at least with those enzyme inhibitors, you can get joint pain. <laughs> so the enzyme oh. inhibitor is a daily pill. Yeah. But it can cause some pretty, pretty bad joint pain. Don't know the mechanism. Just one of the, one of those commonly, um, reported side effects. Yeah. So that's not, it doesn't help either if you're trying to train hard. So the devil wants to have its due with these, you know, you can end up like you're constantly messing around. That's the cool thing. You're messing around with a pivotal point in regulation of digestive system and your sense of satiety. Yeah. Which is good. You know, it's a powerful lever to pull, but it's also a powerful lever to pull. So it's going to have potentially powerful side effects depending on the person. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess just like with anything, um, I'm sure dose, duration, those are going to be, you know, those are going to yeah. be factors. And and since I haven't used these things with an athlete before, I couldn't comment on that. But that would be as a coach, as an as an experienced person, just period in in bodybuilding, I would say that would be my first thought is, you know, using the least amount you could to get that result that you that you wanted. I guess just like with everything, like yeah, if if you're doing a, like a once a week injection, there's that's nice. That's super convenient, right? Yeah. I don't know what the what the pharmacokinetics look. Does it look like? Does it you get a spike and then, like, we we know we got this example. Like, hey, your TRT should be you know one mil of testosterone right. once a week. Right, right. It's like well, that's just horrible. You're like you're you're so like you you did it at the wrong time. Let's say I'll just do it on Monday. So I remember for being of the week. Yeah. And then the weekend comes around. That'd be the worst time to have a hunger rebound come back, come at you. Yeah, I don't know if that happens. Um, so, you know, that's the dosing protocol. They tend some, a lot of times dosing protocols are, there's various reasons why you might have them, but sometimes the, the drug that you can just take once and it works for months or weeks on end is the one that most people want to do because they don't have to worry of about course. it. Adherence to drug protocols is a huge issue. Yeah. It's like with exercise, pro any, any like human, like health behavior, trying to get people to follow protocols that will improve their health, drugs or exercise or whatever it might may be, prostate screening, mammograms, all those sorts of things. Adherence is just a huge, huge issue. Yeah. So the downside to that, like if you do a daily once a day pill is okay because it's a daily thing. But if um, you've got something that you inject and it lasts for a whole week, that's um, imagine, imagine a toxin. Just let's just say it's a, something that's literally poison that has a, like has a half-life on the order of a week. Oh, yeah. Like that toxin will take you out because it hangs around. That means there's something about that toxin that in that case, you know, if it's a naturally occurring toxin, that that, that animal or that plant that produces that toxin has evolved such that it just hangs around. It takes you out. Like your, your human system can't break that shit down. Yeah. Because it has a half-life of a week. Like our, our liver is like, we're, we got all these P450 enzymes we talked about last time, I think a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's like our, like we can handle all sorts of stuff, but this drug has been engineered so that it will last for a week. Wow. Yeah. You like, got to be like, really careful. I mean, I think us, yeah. everybody in bodybuilding yeah. gets that though, because we all use long acting testosterone. You know what I mean? Like we know mm -hmm. we've, you know, everybody who's been around, they've had a shot of DECA. You know, we know what those 
long acting drugs can do that it's a commitment like once you take it you are you are committed so and and you know yeah. billy ryan had mentioned and i and i wasn't sure which was which i couldn't remember offhand but he said from my understanding uh semaglutide is a once a week injection and liraglutide is injected almost daily so and and yeah. i remembered you know there's one that one that was always almost uh, like on a daily basis so yeah you know yeah, would, I, I would, would think that would be sense. the easier one to control then, you know, if you were taking exactly. just like Trenace versus Trenny, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've got that, you know, potential. Like, why is it, why is it, why does it hang around for a week? Yeah. You know, it's like, what do they, how do they modify that? Why is it working? And, it, and if you are someone, let's say you start to develop pancreatitis and, you know, and it's related to the, the dosis, the, the drug dose. I'm sorry. I'll say German words sometimes every once in a while. Excuse me. Dosis? It's related to the, dosis is the word for dose in German. It's really, I, and I said it like an American would. It's related to the dose or the peak blood levels. It might be, let's say you do your injection on Monday and it peaks, you know, Monday night or right. the next day. And then you start to develop these pancreatitis symptoms. It's in your system for the next yeah. week. Like then this is going to get worse. Like you triggered it, and then, then you're then you're gone. So you start that four weeks out. I don't know how fast these things come on. I'm just you're I'm right. being the you know the I'm trying to toss out potential cautions so people know um, maybe what to look for if yeah. they happen to make the decision to use these. Yeah. So you lose that ability to get it out of your system. It's like a it's like a woman who's using androgens, and she's you know she's going to use Deca, let's say. Exactly. You know? Yeah. That's and that's and what I was kind of saying. More yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For guys, you know, no big deal. But for women, it's like, oh shit! I just put in this. I just did it. Actually, used double the dose, and it's going to be around for a month. And I'm going to just watch all the side effects accumulate. And there's nothing I can do about it. All it's right. In there and I can get it out. Well, listen. Let's knock out a couple of these listener questions while I got you here. Um, Billy Ryan has said, uh, I know this is typically a skip question, uh, but are there any potential deleterious effects from using melanotin 2? I'm white as Casper and have considered utilizing it. Yeah, I mean, Ken, Ken talked about melanotin and his hematocrit. That was his experience. And I remember looking into that. I dug in and I, I found something in a rodent study that backed up what he had seen as far as elevating um, hematocrit. And I've got another buddy who's a bodybuilder who's kind of substantiated that that's a possibility. Um, I think you mentioned too, and, I'm, and now, now that I think about it, like there's, there's potential for cancer pretty much every drug, right? Um, Melanotan too was actually developed as an anti-cancer drug, anti for, for skin cancer. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure what the issue was, why it never quite made it to market. Um, I thought you had honest. said something a while back, and, and this was, we did, it was a New Year's Eve episode of Blood, Sweat, and Gear, and you mm -hmm. came on and hung out with us, and, and you had shared, I thought it was something related to cancer. Maybe we should look into that one and, and, and consider, yeah. you know, getting back to it, but, you know definitely definitely the hematocrit thing i've heard that for sure i haven't i haven't let me put it this way i hadn't attributed high hematocrit to melanotin 2 when i used it but hey mm -hmm. you know you never know and i will say this yeah. too that i think that if you go by the old posts on the message boards uh the dosing that was suggested back then i don't know how it relates to now but i think you can get away yeah. with far far less than what it used yeah. to be dosed at i would say use yeah. and it's a drug that you can see the results 
So I would say mm-hmm. use the tiniest amount you can in micrograms. Or not like we used to do a milligram every day to start and load, quote That's unquote. A lot. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and I would say, try to get away with much, much less like, Hey, try a hundred micrograms a day and see how that works. And once you get there, maybe just a hundred micrograms or two fifty micrograms twice a week, you know, or once a week, mm-hmm. I, I think you can maintain it. Yeah. The, the problem, here's another problem I see with it. People lose sight of how dark they actually get. It happened to me. Yeah. I've seen it happen to a lot of people. Um, I don't, in fact, you know, and, and I would say it to Skip's face, like if we were talking, I don't think Skip actually re- recognizes how dark he really is. Like yeah. he's really dark. He's as dark as you can get. Um, yeah. And, and I will, t- I will tell you too, when I used it real intense, um, my skin was never the same since then. I used to burn real wow. easily and now it'll, yeah. I'll, I'll tan, like it's had a lasting effect. I'll tan more quickly than I did in the yeah. past. So I, I think that happens too. Yeah, I mean, you'll get people will get freckles and moles. Yeah, you got to watch for that. You know? And so, you know, this is where, like, with maybe this is the reason I have to look into, you know, have to probably find the studies that were done, the clinical studies, you know, in, in route to being um, an avail, available as a drug. But you, the browning of the skin is going to help with the potential carcinogenic carcinogenic effects of UV radiation. That's what you know. The, like melanin does yeah. basically your skin's brown because the lights um, being uh, collected by the brown brown pigment that's good but if you're turning on the melanocytes and they're then they're producing moles and you've got someone who's let's say like oh I'm on melanotan I can go out in the sun do whatever I want like you know I'm invincible here I'm like Superman I'll just get browner um, you may be stimulating uh, you may have the possibility that you you get um, one of those moles that turns into a skin cancer, hmm. melanoma or something like that. You get interaction there, but I do think it does work work that way. That it it, it has a kind of a permanent, kind of maybe even a reset of yeah. of your the activity of the melanocytes or just the level of brownness that you have. Um, it's a tough tough call because you know I I, I think. Like this is just me personally. Like if if you if you know that you like let's say you've gotten on stage, you know, say it's Billy. He's got he's he's white as Casper. He's gotten on stage and he, and he's done everything he possibly can to get his color right. He's tried Jantana. He's tried Protan. He's like tried Liquid Sun Rays. Right. He's tried Dream Tan. He's tried combining them all and like every time he turns green, he looks like the Purple Hulk. You know, like never friggin' works. But if he gets a little bit of a base tan, he thinks he can get it right. And does he go and like go to a tanning salon for like eight weeks, you know, and work his way up to, you know, to that? Or does he start on melanotan and not and and you, actually there's a synergy between melanotan and um, and tanning tan. too? Absolutely, to I would I would yeah. definitely combine the two. If you're gonna yeah. use melanotan, you definitely combine them. Yeah. So, you know, at, if you were to add that in and thinking just purely, and I have no data to base this, base this on, it's just sort of the, if someone, if someone's like, ah, you know, I just, I burn every time I get brown and they've literally, you know, dropped the ball on their, on their stage presentation, then yeah, it might make sense to throw some melanotan in there. Yeah. Um, you know, I will say, get a base 
I will say that nowadays with like liquid sun rays, I, I really think there is no need to actually tan anymore. You know, it used to be that we had to use pro tan and get five coats on you by the time you got to the show. And nowadays mm-hmm. with the thick spray tans, that I think they have the color good enough that you don't need to have the base tan like you once did. You might at worst need a third coat, but everybody spray tans now. Uh, they'll take care of you. If you're too light, they'll they'll fix that for you at the show. That would be my thought. This was Ken asked about this on in the group, I think, in the Think Big group, about doing your tan. I did my own tan the last couple of years I was on stage. Yeah. Yeah, I used liquid sun rays. It take me – it literally cost me like – I have a – That's a right. We talked about now. that. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. It was awesome. It like I saved like hours of time, hundreds of dollars of money, and it looked just as good. I only think I had to pay backstage for oil. There's pros and cons, I think, you know, it's a different conversation, but, and it would be a good one to have, but I I do think there's, we did have it actually, it's been a while, but there, there's pros and cons, you know, there's, I guess I could, I could get into it, but we're trying to get through these. So, hey guys, I'm going to take a brief pause to shout out our advertisers. I'm going to try to make this quick, but keep in mind, they're responsible for helping us to put these shows out. If you guys want to support our programming, of course you can do so through Patreon. And thank you to everybody who supports the show through Patreon. I will have links to that below, as well as to all of our advertisers. If you shop with our advertisers, you'll get great products, products that I stand behind, and you'll also be supporting our programming. First of all, check out truenutrition.com if you're in the U.S. I use their hydrolyzed beef collagen every day, and I use their citrulline malate, beta alanine, and EAA on days that I train. They have high-quality protein powders and tons of flavors. Hit me up if you have any questions. Use our code THINK over there. You'll get some additional savings, plus you'll support our programming, and you'll get some high-quality third-party tested supplements. If you're in Canada, check out supplementsource.ca. They have blowout deals on top name brand supplements. Uh, They constantly have different things happening. So be sure to go to their site and check them out. I recently saw Carbolin for like 30 bucks off. I mean, you really can't beat those prices. Plus they have free shipping over $99. If you're in the UK, then you probably already know about Strom Sports. They're one of the leader in health supplements in the United Kingdom. Strom Sports Nutrition has standalone supplements like NAC and Tutka, and they have finished blends like Support Max, a high quality, well-priced on-cycle support stat. I have links below to everything. Thanks for watching. Thanks for your support. There was another one, Scott, that I think would be perfectly suited from you, for you, from Reza. He says, hi, guys. My question is, um, how would you go about training for the muscle to increase in uh, muscle fiber size uh, versus muscle fiber amount? So this is the old hyperplasia versus hypertrophy scenario. Um so everyone says, "Oh, growth hormone! You know that's going to cause hyperplasia." Um, we talked. We, we talked about that. We uh, this was yeah. a couple of weeks ago. We we went into this, and I showed some of the evidence suggesting that um, in the McDougal study that you know you've got these bodybuilders who have arms that are like three and a half inches bigger, and their fibers are the same size. So like, did they start off with itsy bitsy fibers and just spend you know all these years of training making them the same size as the is the guys who just trained for six months or just part of their growth because they have more fibers. Um, it's hard to say. Like the, the thing that's the thing. See, here's here's why this is tough. First of all, people just re, just say hypertrophy when they're referring to muscle growth. Sure. So we've lost sensitivity to that. What that term actually means. This is this is like my little like. Um, I don't know. It's my little kind of quirk that I have. My little thing that kind of bugs me a little bit. 
um, because hyperplasia means increase in cell size, and or sorry, hyper, hyper, hypertrophy means increase in cell size, and muscle growth can come from hypertrophy or from hyperplasia potentially, or a combination sure. thereof. Um, so you measure whole muscle size. The changes that you see there typically, if you also were to measure fiber size, are much less um, because the whole muscle is not all, entirely fiber. So if the fibers make up X percentage and they increase, they double in size, they wouldn't it'd go up 50% in fi- size. You might see an increase in, in whole muscle size of 25%. And that doesn't even seem to match always. So it's very, very interesting. Um, what probably is happening when you get hyper, there's a couple different mechanisms that have, that have been, there's some evidence just from having seen what seems to be a transitional period um, in whereby you go from one fiber where we have fibers either splitting or new fibers forming, both of which would lead to um, hyperplasia, an increase in the number of fibers. So there, there are images where you see little fibers that are literally like splitting off into a Y. So you have like two fibers like coming from one. And there's also um, evidence from muscle biopsies where you have small, small fibers that are that are much shorter in length than the fibers that are the surrounding them. It seems like they may be new fibers. Um, when muscle fibers grow, hypertrophy, satellite cells are involved for the most part. Like this is kind of a little bit of a controversy thing. I always have to say that, but um, you see, for instance, in those people who grow the best, that they have more higher satellite cell density in their muscles, and they increase their satellite cell density more so than those people who are kind of moderate responders or non-responders. Just talked about this on Thursday in a webinar I gave in German. Um, they also have a, an accentuated growth factor response. MGF and myogenin, for instance, is higher. So the satellite cell activity is greater there. So when muscle cells get bigger, just like the, the city that's enlarging, you need more post offices to service the city. You got a muscle cell that's enlarging, you need more nuclei to service the city. And those nuclei come from the satellite cells. The satellite cells get turned on by the by the growth factors, which are triggered by the, the stimulus of the weight training, the injury that is involved there. And satellite cells are really, when there's an injur, injury to the muscle there, like they could do crush crush studies, they crush injuries, they literally take a muscle and they just, they crush it. And then satellite cell activity goes sky high to repair the muscle. So they're part of repair. So a muscle cell gets bigger and those satellite cells donate nuclei. And then the cells get bigger and that's hypertrophy. But another way that you could potentially have muscle growth is you have more functional muscle cells, muscle fiber, a muscle fiber is a muscle cell. And that could be from satellite cells that several of them would sort of fuse together um, and or in some in the process of proliferating, proliferating and differentiating themselves, form a whole new fiber. So the stimulus could cause them to donate nuclei to fibers so those fibers can grow or the stimulus could cause them to proliferate to the such extent that they end up forming a new fiber. Um, and that's a pretty accentuated process too. So the question is like, how can you turn on one versus the other? So the evidence we have for hyperplasia is these things, these indirect evidence I just mentioned, things you see when you have biopsies or, or things you see when you look at the larger muscles that have fibers that seem like they're smaller. There's that very, very cool quail study that Jose Antonia did where they progressively overload, overload, overload um, stretch overload model. They hang a weight off the quail's wing. And 
the the quail muscle got bigger and bigger and bigger throughout the month of this overload progressive overload protocol and the fibers initially got bigger and bigger and bigger and the muscle kept on getting bigger and bigger and bigger and the fibers started getting smaller and smaller and smaller yeah okay so fiber size went up and then fiber size started going down as the muscle was getting larger and larger so huh. over the long haul what happened was in this particular study and to take this and say, well, this is what happens with resistance training is a huge leap. But if we look at that, that phenomenon there, it suggests that long-term training, like we saw in those the subjects in the McDougal study, may be something which is required before some of the growth process hmm. becomes less hypertrophic and more so hyperplastic in nature. Interesting. Um, and that would make sense because... Um, and I'm going to just spitball something here. So a lot of the, a lot of the bodybuilders, you know, a lot of the best bodybuilders said back when those studies were being done, people were training the way Arnold does. Everyone was doing high volume stuff. Not everyone's Mike Mansell was around at that time too, but there's an issue with fibers just becoming like just gigantic. Um, because you have, you have to be able to have a diffusion distance so you can get energy to those myofibrils that are on the core of the of the um, of the muscle fiber, so your mitochondria are typically going to be outside. You've got the myofibrils that are producing the force in there, and you've got to get ATP to the myosin, so the myosin ATPase, so you can have cross bridge cycling. You can have the force production, yeah. And that's a long haul if you have a gigantic muscle cell. It's just giant. There's a creatine phosphokinase system that does that. Creatine phosphate is much smaller than ATP. So it's real zippy. It diffuses more rapidly so it can get there. But eventually you get to the point where if you've, if you've got a muscle that is – you've got a stimulus that, that, that where it would be advantageous to have more muscle mass. So you want, hyper, you want a larger muscle. And you also have a stimulus that is highly energetically demanding. So something like you're not just doing two sets, Mike Mentor style. You're doing 15, 20, 25 sets. You got if you get this muscle fiber that gets so big that it has a diffusion issue that mm-hmm. doesn't help you with performance. You can't get energy to the the myofibrils, and then you've got a muscle cell where you've got energy on the periphery near the where the mitochondria are, and a lot of gly- glycogen is going to be throughout too. But you've got potentially an issue where you've got energy availability in the center is especially when you're using this creatine phospho um, this shuttle it's called. Energy availability in the center is horrible because the muscle fiber is just gigantic, ginormous, and it's great on the outside. Then you've got force irregularities. Yeah, that makes you've got, sense. You've got so you don't want that to ha- want that to happen. It would be like having like a like a four by four truck where you've got you know like the the length of some part of the the four by four mechanism is is longer on one wheel than the other. So the wheels like spin at different speeds, and it'd be like that would just be a wreck for your suspension. So, so you'd you don't be have better that. off that then it may start shifting is what you're saying than than, than well, the, the it, type of growth. The, exactly. So the so the so the the option then is like just as we saw in the quail study, the option is then well we still need more muscle mass. Yeah. We've got a we've got a muscle growth stimulus here, but we can effectively create that by um, having more muscle cells, having hyperplasia. Um, and that way we don't have that diffusion distance issue. We sort of optimize the diffusion distance, a more normal muscle cell size, and we can get more muscle mass by having more, more cells. So the way that the thing that might lead to more um, 
hyperplasia over the long haul. Again, this is a total spitball thing. Like you'd have to do a really long study probably to see this. Yeah. And measuring hyperplasia, this is a high thing, hard thing. You you see this in animal models. You see it in, in rats. You see it in in cats. You see it in quail. Hyperplasia happens. Like you know the cats thing. Like there's a guy named Gagnier who he trained cats to do wrist flexion, trained them for like a year, and they saw like an 11 percent increase in in the fiber number when some poor graduate student had to peel the fibers off, count them one by one. And when you take rodents and do that compensatory hypertrophy model, you, you pull out the soleus and you let the gastroc grow, you'll see in that case some hyperplasia. Um, so, and those are, but those are ex- like, that's a one year study and you're counting every fiber. So it's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to train your chest or we're going to train one bicep one way and one bicep the other way, and then we're going to take your biceps out. It's like, no, you're not. Right. That's the only way to know, really. Or or take a biopsy and make those indirect uh, kind of guesstimates, like when we when they compare the six months trained versus the the elite bodybuilders. So the the bottom line there is that over the long haul, someone who trains at perhaps with high volume or includes sort of a high volume, more metabolically stressful type of training may be sending a signal that says, okay, let's get bigger. And we know that high rep sets can make, at least on the short term, high rep sets can cause muscle growth as well as lower rep sets with heavier weight. That long, Having that component at least or training that way may give you the possibility that the signal is sent to create more muscle mass by creating more fibers because the diffusion distance issue is something that is probably being sensed. And my guess, just knowing generally what I know about muscle biology is that it's muscles are bio like they're they're bioenergetic machines the, the heart is like a, its own little thing but muscles are badasses so the and answer the plasticity there is really really cool so yes to answer his question though can you can you pick one or the other hypertrophy versus hyperplasia like you it, want probably both you want to yeah. get the cells as large as they can be and then get as much muscle mass by having as many cells as possible. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I could probably create some system and, like, put together some, you know, this scientifically linked logic that says you should train heavy for, you know, one cycle, the, the heavy, light, hypertrophy, hyperplasia system. Yeah, by, yeah. By yeah. Dr. Scott, some bullshit like that, Multiply right? your fibers yeah. and grow them all. Yes. Yeah, the fiber <laughs> multiplication phase, you know, and yeah. the fiber growth phase, you know, and blah, blah, blah. You could even throw drugs in there, like use some IGF-1, you know, yeah. whatever. But it's hard to know. And there's probably genetics that are involved with the extent to which that happens. There's people I would that think just so. don't grow. Yeah, you know, and there's some people that just grow crazy. Like, like I've like I've said before, you have to keep this all kind of in context too. You've got like that's I mean, building a, a larger muscle cell is a huge overhaul. Producing more muscle cells is a ginormous overhaul because you've got a very tumultuous environment there in the muscle. It's not like it's an organ that just kind of sits there and does its thing, you know. And yeah. let's say I mean, like fat cells, like. You know, they're like um, the, the forces that you produce in your muscle when you train are tremendous. Imagine if you if you wanted like like fat cells are going to multiply, and you went and you squeezed them like a hundred times a day, three times a week, like as hard as you could. That would be severely disruptive to the tissue whenever processes are going on there. So it you know it might it might be having some rest and some recovery is going to be important just for course for muscle hypertrophy. We talked about that before. 
but even more paramount for hyperplasia to happen. And this is where it's interesting. This is just kind of occurring to me like right now as we say this is that the bro, the pro split or the bro split yeah. where you train once a week would make a lot of sense if you if you respond to that first and foremost to grow that way because it gives you a whole week. Let's say you've trained mm-hmm. and you've trained in a way that sets into motion. You've got enough size in those cells so the, the growth adaptation now is set into motion whereby it would be hyperplastic in nature, mm-hmm. right? So now you need time to let that muscle rest probably as much as possible because if it's going to be hyperplasia, you're actually going to be forming new muscle cells. And th- that's a whole new whole new deal. Yeah. Like that's, that's not just putting a new post office in a muscle fiber, like adding a new nucleus. That's like building a whole new subdivision. Yeah. Which is going to have its own post offices. So that's a whole other thing. So training – Training frequently might not hmm. effectively bring that about. I don't know. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know what you know. The muscle cells super muscle is super resilient too. Like we don't, we don't, we don't get the same rap, rapidity of growth with weight training that you do in some of these other models. Yeah, it pales in comparison compared to what you see with the with the um, overload stretch overload and the compensatory overload and the and the cat even well yeah the cat training was about normal rates of growth but. Some of those models where we see the satellite cell growth, or sort of the hyperplasia, those happen really, really rapidly. Yeah. So, I don't know. I wouldn't worry about it. I tell you what, if you get to where you're bench pressing 405 pounds and you're pulling six, 600 off the floor, you know, if you're using those exercises, get to where you're just beastly strong or you can just do crazy shit with heavy weight <laughs> for high reps. Yeah. You're going to be a pretty damn big dude, you know. And yeah, who cares how many fibers there are or how big they are at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah, I wish I could answer that question. That would I mean like that idea of like 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 periodizing your training yeah. to affect different forms of muscle growth would be, be great. And the sarcoplasmic hypertrophy thing too is it's just being like perpetuated now. It's something that happens. I have like I've got a, a book here. It's a, it's across the way. It's a it's a German. It's in German. I just got it in the mail. Ordered from Germany. It's on hypertrophy training. Okay. I got it just because it'd be interesting to read. I'm going to learn something for sure. And also I'm going to be able to learn some German vocabulary while I'm at it too. It's a good thing for me to read some scientific stuff in German, but they mentioned the sarcoplasmic hypertrophy and it's in that study. um, The Cody Hahn study where it had the best evidence uh, that we have so far that that can happen. They, they took subjects from a study where the average muscle growth was nil. About half the, the subjects were distributed to the, where they actually lost muscle size and the other half, gain muscle size. So they took the they took the subjects, the samples from the subjects who gained muscle size and then looked at what happened there. And that's where they found evidence of sarcoplasmic hypertrophy. Hmm. But that doesn't like like that was a that was a, a cherry pick sample. It makes sense. If you want to find evidence of sarcoplasmic hypertrophy, you have to have hypertrophy first and foremost. Sure. But to say that that, that stimulus the way they trained would produce unequivocally sarcoplasmic hypertrophy is, would not be a true statement because that stimulus did not produce hypertrophy on the average. Hmm. For some people it did and some people it didn't. So for those who grow from that stimulus, there was some sarcoplasmic hypertrophy. But that doesn't mean it happens universally. Just like we don't know to what extent hyperplasia happens universally. You know? Yeah. So it's really, it's, and some people just don't grow. There's other options for improving muscle performance, like the enzymes we talked about, blood flow, 
shifting the myosin form, so you've got a more efficient or economical contraction. There's muscle is, has so many levers it can pull to produce better performance and make you a better, stronger lifter in the gym, neurologically, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that you got to be really, really crafty, paying attention to how you choose your stimulus because you can actually make plenty of progress in the gym and not grow at all. Yeah. Um, just because that stimulus for you is not a hypertrophic one. You see this all the time with guys who've been training to get really, really strong, and then they have to go do high rep stuff to make progress. Yeah, yeah. Or train more frequently to make progress, or the other way around. Like they gotta, you gotta get, you must have to get stronger to make progress. But I do think, like I said before, if you go from average strength to like you're the strongest guy in pretty much every lift that you do in your gym, it, it's going to show. You may not be the biggest dude. Flex Wheeler wasn't the big, the strongest guy in the gym, and he was had one of the best physiques ever to uh, you know show up on this on stage. But there's something to say for that relationship. I would regardless. think so, I think so too. Yeah, it's a good response. No. I like. I knew you'd have Thanks. something good for that one. Um, yeah, yeah, cool we, topic. We had a couple more. I know we were we were we had the video we were going to do, but we kind of were running lower yeah. on time. What do you say we okay. save that and and that'll right. give us something to do next time? Because uh, cool. we did have an interesting uh, topic here from Neven in Canada. He says, um, actually, he had a couple of them. Uh, hold on, just a second. Let me find the other one he posted. This one. Here we go. Any tips on calming the central nervous system down after training? But then he also asks, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to calm down immediately after training? Hmm. Um, why you wouldn't? I mean, it depends on what you have to do. If you train in the morning, you have to go to work and be on your, on your toes and be, you know, cognitively aware of what's going on, then you wouldn't want to calm down. But I'll tell you what, Scott, this one kind of maybe struck something with me because I feel like um, I feel like after I had gotten sick, which was now 18 months ago, that really put me into like a real keyed up state where like my sympathetic nervous system was just like easily triggered. And mm -hmm. I found that my my ability to handle like intense weight in the gym to handle like the pain of training drastically changed overnight. Like my pain tolerance went down, not only physically, but like mentally. Uh, and, and, and I feel like a lot of that was because I was already so like high strung. My sympathetic nervous system was just like, you know, on the edge. And for me yeah. to kind of get back into a place where I can train successfully, I've had to be able to kind of like, downregulate that. So this question kind of jumped out at me because I do feel like it's really important that we are able to downregulate that. Like I'm thinking to myself, even if I were to go to work after that, I would want to be able to calm down, maybe not calm down to the point where I'm going to go to sleep. You know what I mean? But like calm right. down to the point where like, I'm not on edge anymore. I think to myself, like if you're doing progressive overload, and you're at that point where you're about to do something you've never done before. It's one of the greatest feelings in the world. You know what I mean? Right. You know exactly what I mean, but it's not a place yeah. where you can live your entire life. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. You can't right. stay there, um, you know? Yeah. The, uh, I mean, I talked about this before the, some of the best bodybuilders in the world are kind of renowned for having pretty chill, um, mm. personalities. Jake Cutler's 
really chill guy, <laughs> Dexter Jackson, you know, Ronnie Coleman. Yeah. Um, Sean Roden was super chill. Yeah. You know, um, so there is, there is sort of a chronic stress load or chronic activity that impacts your pain tolerance. Um, everything becomes harder if your stress otherwise is, is elevated. Um, like this is a big thing with like special forces guys and, um, you know, SWAT guys and people who are in military, military and that they, they may have extreme circumstances where they need to be totally on and up and ready to go, but then they need to be able to, to regulate themselves back down and yes. not be, you know, freaked out unnecessarily about things yeah. because that will impact your performance, that your cortisol levels are high unnecessarily, et cetera, et cetera. Adrenaline, so I, all I, that. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to know what his circumstances are. Like one thing that could be a common issue is, you know, you train it after work and you're using a pre-workout stim, you know? Mm, yeah. And like, okay, so you just took 400 milligrams of caffeine at five o'clock. <laughs> can't go to bed at eight. I wonder why, <laughs> you know, that's, that's going to be an issue. Um, and then in meditation or finding a, a way to become aware, use your own heart rate and, Pay attention to the biofeedback your body's giving you. You can you can literally um, bring yourself down from a highly excited excited state very very quickly once you become good at doing so. So bre- there's tons of breath work techniques can be applied. That's what I use. Even yeah, you've had to yeah because I mean the thing that's interesting about your situation I get it. We talked about this is that that sort of hyper reactivity that you were living in was 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 I think at least partly secondary to. The fact that everything was so much more difficult mm. because of as your breathing difficulties and the effects of, of, of having COVID on your body, long COVID on your body means that like just walking around was like a huge yeah. exertion level was so high. So just like, breathing, just breathing was it, difficult. Everything. And, and yeah. I think that the, what you're talking about too, like meditation, the breathing is such a, to me, that would be a number one thing is, and, and you know, what I use is box breathing which is just a simple inhale for four seconds, hold for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, Box. hold for four seconds. Yeah. And you can find cool little uh, memes or, yeah, or not memes, yeah. but like little, uh, um, you know, animated pictures online to look at. And mm-hmm. it, I keep one of those on my phone and, and special forces, you mentioned, they do use that stuff because they mm-hmm. can't have an adrenaline dump when they're about to like bust into a room and, you know, take everybody out or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah. they have to be able to stay calm and it literally will, it's kind of like a hard reboot to your system. And mm-hmm. what Victoria suggests is using that first thing in the morning and then to, to basically like set your day and then to use it right. whenever needed. And I've done it like in the middle of work. I just like, Hey, hold on a second. I need to stop and do this. And like after two rounds, which is literally under a minute, I'm, I'm in a different place and it like, you can feel yourself deregulate, like downregulated. Apple Watch reminders you can get that'll uh, do that. Yeah. Yeah. Mine gives me a little reminder in German to take a little time, you know, and have it do some breath work. And I think the I first thing we always want to think of, uh, and kind of like referencing earlier to like, you know, wanting to, like, we want drugs, you know, we want, like, what do I take to do like, this? But yeah. really, it, it truly is like in it blockers. Is, yeah. We can, we can do this ourselves. We really can. Absolutely. There, I mean, there are yogis that can almost get their heart to stop. Yeah. You know, just by just by learning how to control their auto, autonomic nervous system. 
I, I have um, a ton of respect for that. I don't have the patience or the interest to, to do that. You know what I mean? But the yeah, box breathing right. is like, I don't have to learn anything. I just follow the thing. I, you know, I just do yeah. it. You know, I follow a plan and simple, simple as that. 16 seconds later, I've gotten through one round and it's made a difference. It's like, oh, okay. It literally is like a hard reboot to the computer. There was just, I mean, I like, this is direct evidence that just stopping and freeing yourself from any outside responsibilities can massively impact your hmm. your mental mental state. Was when I was in graduate school, um, graduate students are the guinea pigs for for studies <laughs> when they're doing like pilot work. Yeah, and um, one of our buddies was me and um, Chris Gregory is actually his name. We were doing this for another graduate student who wanted to measure um, cardiovascular drift and epoch and some other things. He's an endurance athlete. So we, we had to do a ton of these, um, like, t- either like 10 or 12 minute, maybe it was like 10 to 12 minute maximum exertion cycle um, bout, cycling bouts on a cyclergometer. So we figured out our VOC max and he tested that several times. And then he put the workload so that it was hard and like, you couldn't go past 12 minutes. You just couldn't maintain the workload. Yeah. But you could just barely get to 10. So it's like, it was like, I wouldn't say it's the same, but you know how Tom Platts would do, like he'd throw two and a quarter on the squat bar so the, the lower goes, and then he'd squat for 10 minutes with the kitchen timer. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Like, you get a heavy workload, and you're like, oh, fuck, here we go. And it was just like, you're just going as hard as you can until you slowly, like eight minutes, you're just grinding to a stop. These were just absolutely brutal. I mean, like a 30-second wind gate, those are hard because everything you got. This is like, it's like really, really hard at the beginning, like eight out of 10. And then it just like gradually creeps up to 10 until eventually, eventually like that's it, you're gone. So we had to do multiple trials of that. We had to do one where we had um, electrodes all over our legs to measure activity. And he had a, he, we had a uh, rectal thermometer in and esophageal thermometer in. So oh God. on both ends, measuring body temperature, um, measuring gases at the same time, multiple trials. Cause he wanted to gather all this information with the same, same workload, the same trial. And one of the trials, he wanted to measure muscle activation with okay. an MRI. So we went over and we did this maybe twice. I can't remember. Um, at least twice, maybe several times, because he had, he just had he was just using us as the guinea pigs. He'd measure, Jerry changed some things, like, "Hey, you guys do it again." So we go over and we get on the on the bike. This is at the MRI, like it's a separate because it's a giant magnet. So sometimes they have those separate from everything else because the magnet will fuck up all sorts of things. You can't wear any metal. If you got a pacemaker, it's a no go. These are powerful magnets. So we get on the bike, cycle, 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 cycle. Literally, heart rate is max. It's heart rate of 200 when I get done. And then you're done. Okay, get in the tube. Boom, you get in the, in the tube and you lie there. You just try to just breathe easily. And it's like, whoa, oh, oh shit, okay. Like max effort. I would be asleep in 10 minutes. <laughs> no kidding. Time. No kidding. Absolutely. They'd have to wake me up. Every single time. Because there's nothing to do. You just lie there and relax. Yeah. So you know how people like they do an all out like a crazy squat. I never do this in the gym because I don't want to fall into that place of relaxation. Yeah. Um, if I have anything else to do. And I just don't want to do it. Like sometimes you get a panicky effect if you finish a hard set. And I, I stay in that aggressive like I'm not done yet. Yeah. If I ever get that. Like that's a little tip for people who have that issue. Sometimes people do when you really exert yourselves, yourself. But some people just lay down on the ground. Um, and just like, uh, you know, and they just rolling all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> you can really very rapidly get into a relaxed place. And I wasn't trying to like, you know, okay, 
you know, get in the lotus position. We're lying in a lying in a little tube, you know. Yeah. And the MRI thing, it's like it's making its noise as the magnet was going back and forth. Like there's no music, there was no breath, intentional breath work. It was just all you got to do now is lie in the tube and don't move. Yeah. Just lie there, and just just try to let your breath just do what it naturally would. Don't try to so, hold it. Don't try to control it. So you're saying you're saying finding a way to basically you're saying take away. Take away any any like need. Basically, be in the present, not worrying about. Uh, give yourself some type of moment, whether it be lying in a tube or something else. Where you know, cardio's kind of been that way for me. In that I've I've told myself like, okay, you know, I, I can't go do. I can't be on the computer doing this. I can't be doing that. I'm gonna spend this time on the treadmill. And that is a very down regular, even though I'm doing cardio, slow, steady state, it is a down regulating thing for me because yeah. I am not worried about doing something else, you know? Yeah. This is, so, so you can get in sort of a bit of a flow state, probably yeah. not technically, but like there's something about, you know, rhythmicity. This is why rhythmic dance can be cool or running like people who like to run and they just like they get into a flow state and it's just it, it, some sort of entrainment. That's what the breathing does too. that can function. Yeah. What I was talking about, like the is sort of more of a sensory deprivation, like you do in a float tank. Yeah. Like yeah. That. But you're and I because I wanted to wrap it back around to you were initially saying doing something where you don't have like responsibilities that need to get done right now is what you're saying. Right. Some some sort of way. That's what, like I said, what Check cardio out. becomes for me. You're in that tube. Yeah, you're you're deprived of the entire world around you. You can, yeah, yeah. It, 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 see that there's so there's a complicating factor here with with at least with training. If the cardio is not not hard, then it's not a problem. But like one thing, sometimes when I train legs, you can get this massive epoch, and okay. so excess post exercise oxygen consumption, and. Some of that is related to the sympathetic activation that you get. Sometimes if you train so hard, my, my heart rate, I wasn't, I didn't feel stressed. I come back home, but I lie there and my heart rate would just be flying. And this is with, not with yeah. any caffeine intake or whatever. It's just because I stressed myself so much. Yeah. Um, there's the sympathetic nervous system just has, has a residual elevation. And some of that is just because the epinephrine has residual effects. So that will last for a while. Hmm. But, but there was certainly an epinephrine release when I was doing those, we were doing those cycling doing those cycling bouts I bet. and it was yeah and like people who take naps i've had you know occasions like when i ran my gym for instance i would go because i'm if when i'm in the gym then people are always coming at asking me for stuff either i've got clients or i've got people who work at the gym and i would just go out into my car turn on the air conditioner because i'm in arizona and just lean back put a towel or something on my eyes and just like take a 20 minute like little cat nap and it was like I totally started a whole new day. Yeah. Like that, just totally checking out. I got nothing to do. I got no phone that's going to beep at me, no watch that's going to beep at me. There's nothing happening. And just free yourself that. Now, imagine like you get done. It's like, okay, it's 5.50. I got to be in my car by 6 o'clock so I can be home at 6.30 because my wife's got dinner waiting for me or whatever. Right. And I got client work to do or whatever. I got, you know, kids have a football game or whatever it might be. That doesn't give you that come down time. Right. And so, you know, creating those patterns and those habits. Um, and this is why, like, some of the best, like, the guys who do extreme things, like the um, military guys we mentioned before, they've got a tremendous, it's just um, uh, they have control over, over their mental state. Mm -hmm. Probably naturally they do that. And it's probably they've been able to, to build upon that through training it, working on it. And 
you, that's just going to be just as much a part of being able to effectively integrate going after it in the gym into your daily schedule um, as being able to going after it in the, in, your, in the gym. Let's like you go in there and you're like you're transformed into this whatever it needs to be. You're letting your rage in. You're having like this completely cathartic experience in the gym where you're almost shitting yourself and, you know, getting nosebleeds or what have you. And then you want to be able to turn that completely off because your recovery requires that you're able to come down. Yeah. So that's another skill set that can be equally as important as opposed to, like you said, like imagine if you're just like that all the time. You you're couldn't like, be. You're like, right, you'd be, an, it'd be terrible to be around and you would never recover. You'd be constantly, constantly stressed. When people get, like, constantly stressed throughout their lives – you see this? I've seen this so many times. Like their body composition just go to shit. Like absolutely know, lose muscle and gain fat at the same time. It's like how is this happening? How is this even possible thermodynamically? Yeah. But it happens. So yeah, I, I, I wish we knew more about his situation to know, you know, what what's running through his head, what he's doing, because you just have to take it on a case by case basis. I think. Yeah, yeah, and I think that everybody listening can find something to apply from this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care what your situation is; that we can all, we can all do a better job at finding that that mindfulness for a moment to be able mm-hmm. to to unplug and and be able to reset. And we, we, you know, we owe it to ourselves too. I think be present. Yeah. I um I like to spread this little little trick. I might have mentioned it here before. Um, I mentioned it to somebody just the other day. And actually, something we mentioned, John Meadows, I think, early on in the podcast. I think we were recording when I was talking about John. Um, it's my rule of five. It's not my rule. It's the rule. I call it the rule of fives. And the number is sort of immaterial. Okay. But it's a way to be mindful and evaluate what would otherwise be a stressful situation. And there's no right or wrong way to do this. You'll figure it out sort of depending on what's going on that might potentially be stressing you. So let's say you've had... It could be an incident where someone like swerved at you on the road or you've got a business deal that's not going the right way and there's nothing you can do. It's just going to it's going to go south. So you think to yourself and five is just an easy kind of number to remember. I got this. I stole this from someone. I don't know where I got it from. I wish I did. Will this matter? What's going on now that's upsetting? Will this matter in five seconds, in five hours, five days, in five weeks, five months, five years? And it's like, okay, this will matter. If it'll matter in five years, I probably should be, I should probably pay attention. Like someone's, someone's choking and they might end up dying and they won't be in my life. I need to be, it's time to be able to take action and focus. Yeah. If it's like, if it won't matter in five minutes, like someone swerved at you on the road and you're not, you didn't wreck your car and you didn't get hit, will it matter in five minutes? Like, why am I, why am I going to spend the next five minutes like beating on the dash and like being upset? It doesn't matter. Um, will it matter in five months? No, it won't matter in five months. Will it matter in five five weeks? Okay, yeah. Now I see. Uh, make, I should probably make pay attention to it a little bit. But in five months, it's not that big of a deal. Five months, I won't even know. You know. So I'll. I'll so you change your level of arousal, your level of concern, and you know your approach by just running it through that. Yeah, I just do it in my head like automatically now. I like that. Five, so yeah, it's just like five, five, five seconds. One five seconds, like it's there's no point in being worrying about it at all, right? Yeah, nothing. Yeah, but we get upset about stuff. It's like like you're walking your dogs, and you know the dog like you know runs around you, you know, and the leash kind of trips you up. And this doesn't happen to me because, but like I, that happens with me because I have all, I have three dogs, and I could be like all pissed because like I got tripped up and I my blew out my flip flop. It's like 
will that matter in five days? No, I'll get on Amazon right now in my phone and I'll order new flip flops and I'll have them tomorrow. It won't matter. Yeah. So whatever, you know, so you can run through that and it is so helpful to just bring you out of unnecessarily frustrating or excited states of mind. I think at least that's a great way to close the show. That's a cool. that's a good take home tip, guys. We appreciate you watching. Uh, of course, uh, check out more from Scott. You can get his book BYOBB Coach. That's Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. BYOBB Coach. Dot com. Uh, you can also go to Amazon, get the hardcover there. I'll have links for that below. Also check out his his training plan, Fortitude Training. That'll be at the website. You can check that out. Uh, go to our sponsors too, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK. You can get some additional savings. Like I said at the beginning, uh, if you have any questions about any of their supplements, any of their flavors, anything you're interested in trying to put together, please let me know because I've, I've used a lot of their stuff over the years and and I believe in all of it. I know Scott does too. Uh, Skip yep. does as well. Absolutely. We we basically all have, have been big followers and believers of True Nutrition. Uh, supplementsource.ca. If you're in Canada, check them out. And uh, we've got, I didn't mention at the beginning, but we have a new sponsor for our UK Ooh. people, and that's Strom Sports Nutrition. Take, check out stromsports.com. They've got a lot of really good uh, health products and really good blends and stuff for, for health, as well as standalone products like Tutka and uh, NAC, stuff like that that so you guys can shop with any of these companies and it it will directly help to support our programming plus uh just know that those companies believe in what we're doing and so that they uh they they support what we're doing here also check out patreon like i said i'm going to do a um a live stream over there i'll probably get victoria to hang out with me for a little bit on that but it'll just be like a little bit more low-key less of like a, the actual podcast and more of us just hanging out and uh chatting so i'll be putting that together soon be sure if you're on patreon to head over there and check in uh ask me some questions stuff like that guys for another episode of muscle minds with scott stevenson i'm scott mcnally and we will see you soon thanks a lot scott as thanks, always scott. peace